Hi, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Ann Eglash. I'm a clinical professor in the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and a board-certified lactation consultant. And I'm your co-host, Dr. Karen Bodnar. I am a pediatric hospitalist at Anova Children's Hospital and an assistant professor of pediatrics at Virginia Commonwealth University. I'm also a board-certified lactation consultant. This podcast is produced by the Institute for the Advancement of Breastfeeding and Lactation Education and is co-sponsored by the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Hi, Karen. How are you? I'm great, Anne. How are you? Good, good. Hey, we're going to have a lot of fun today. We're going to talk to um, four physicians who've had twins and talk all about breastfeeding twins and I, I guess I'm, you know, I have to say that it's such a different world having twins that getting this personal experience is probably one of the best ways to learn about. Braver uh, women than I. What is that? I said they're braver women than I am. Braver women. Well, you know, sometimes you don't have a choice, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I'm going to, so we're going to go ahead and introduce our guests. So we have Dr. Rima Tolan. Rima, do you want to introduce yourself? I'm Rima Strassman, and I'm a pediatrician. I have four children, um, two singletons, and then my twins. Um, and I was early in my career when I had my twins, but I'd been practicing for a while and had already been working with mothers and babies doing breastfeeding care when I had them, which made, I think, it a, a lot easier for me to do what I was doing because uh, nobody else in my practice had a lot of knowledge. And when they came home, um, my, young, my son spent three days in the NICU. My son, daughter spent 12 hours in the NICU. Um, so not a long time, but they were 34 weeks and a few days, 35 weeks and a few days. I was able to take them home with me from the hospital, but they weighed four pounds and four pounds, three ounces. And he lost down to 313. And so we weighed them every few days. And I was able to say, hey, but I know they're doing well and bring them back. I'm just gonna recheck their weight in a few days and avoid any supplementation by knowing what I was doing and relying on my own knowledge with this, as opposed to somebody else in my practice saying, oh, they've lost so much weight, you need to give a formula or supplement in some other way. Great, uh, thank you. Uh, Dr. Strassman. And um, so next I want to introduce Dr. Heather, Heather Saha. Hi, I'm Heather Saha. Um, I am a, a MedPeds uh, primary care physician and I also have four children. Um, my twins were my first though and I had them at the very end of uh, my third year, third out of four years of residency. Um, I actually had very little exposure or sort of experience uh, with breastfeeding prior to having them. Um, so I, I sort of learned on the fly um, and, you know, we were just, we were pretty lucky that it was a pretty smooth, um, smooth journey breastfeeding them. Nice. Great. Thank you. And then uh, Dr. Carla uh, Dulaban. Did I pronounce your last name right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you did. Yep. Carly Dulavan. Yep. Um, so I am also a pediatrician. I'm a pediatric hospitalist. Um, so I do um, most of newborn care um, in our labor and delivery unit. Um, I have two and a half year old twins um, who were born at 30 weeks, actually. So we had quite a lengthy um, NICU stay and therefore um, a fairly rocky start. 
to our breastfeeding relationship. Um, and then I'm currently pregnant with my third. So just a singleton this time. So I decided to do things a little simpler. Um, but it, it, I actually had, other than my job, I had, and even within my job, I had very little breastfeeding, um, knowledge or experience. So, and, um, I felt as though I didn't get as much support as I would have liked when I had my twins and especially in the NICU. Um, and that's actually what kind of prompted me to go ahead and get my IBCLC and complete my training was so that I could provide care to mom so that they had hopefully a better experience than what, what I had initially. Yeah. I'm sure you have a lot to share. That's awesome. I say <laughs> you look amazing. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to go to bed as soon as we're done. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Dr. Regina uh, DiPietro. Yeah. Um, so I have three children. My first was a singleton. He's now three and a half. And then I have one and a half year old twins. Um, I had them all during residency, my family medicine residency, I'm currently doing immediate care medicine. Um, so I had three kids during a three-year residency, which was a lot. Um, and I was actually in the process. I had um, started a breastfeeding medicine elective in my residency at this point um, when I got pregnant with the twins and was doing all my QI work uh, in residency on breastfeeding. Um, and yeah, I've been, I breastfed them for over one year, um, already weaned them. Um, we were induced, I was induced at 36 weeks and we left after 24 hours. So, um, no NICU time. So a little bit different than other people's stories. And my twins were, um, seven pounds and five and a half pounds. Oh, so significantly different in weight. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But you left in 24 hours. That is amazing. It was peak COVID time, I think. So they were uh, trying to get patients out of that right when COVID started. So, uh, they were trying to get patients out quickly, I think. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that many people who are listening have a lot of questions just about like, what did you need to know when you were pregnant and how do we counsel people when they're pregnant with twins, uh, just sort of preparing them because it would seem to me that prenatal classes probably don't always apply to, um, you know, what you could be, what you should be expecting when you have twins versus singletons. But we're going to talk more about that in our case discussion that's going to come up uh, just in a couple of weeks in March. So I thought that maybe what we could do is talk about a few more complicated issues. Um, so many of our listeners are lactation consultants and physicians. And they oftentimes are faced with not quite knowing for sure what are the best strategies to deal with some more complicated situations. So for example, we know that a lot of twins end up in the NICU, so they have a much higher rate of being delivered early. And uh, so maybe we could talk a little bit about the perhaps the differences in pumping for twins in the NICU versus a singleton. So I feel like I might be able to weigh in <laughs> probably the best here. Um, so some things that I actually found at my hospital where um, I had my twins did that was, was very helpful is, so they were C-section um, and I had, I was pumping in recovery. Um, so within like literally within an hour, one of the nurses had gotten me a pump and showed me how to use it and set me up in that way. And then the next day, a lactation consultant actually helped, helped me learn how to hand express. So I feel like for twins versus a singleton, I do think especially in the beginning, especially if you have early babies um, where your body might not be totally ready, um, is early and frequent 
emptying. Um, so I literally, I mean, I had a, like, my babies were born at like one in the morning. Um, and by 8am I had a lactation consultant in my room helping me, um, to show me what I needed and my, the frequency and, um, and things along those lines, because they knew that with twins, especially preemie twins, you had to be fairly aggressive in your emptying strategy in order to provide the amount of milk for two babies. Um, especially in a body that, you know, these are my, first, although not all, you know, not everybody's going to have them as their first, but, um, in a body that wasn't really quite ready to be making milk yet. Um, so I think early and aggressive emptying. So I was pumping and hand expressing after pumping wow. like yeah. pretty much every two hours during the day. And then I would go three overnight. So, um, and I, I mean, I, again, had no experience prior to having my own kids, what I needed to do. So I think having someone coming in and telling me like, you know, we need to get going early and aggressively was, was really important. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder, I would imagine that it would be like just more, more feeling of pressure, um, maybe a little more anxiety about production compared to someone who has a singleton, not knowing how that's going to roll. Yeah. I think a lot of it too, is just kind of setting up expectations and goals. Cause I, I remember like, I mean, I was actually very lucky. Like my milk came in on like day of life too. I don't know. I, I was lucky and I, I recognize that, but I think also setting up expectations because I feel like a lot of moms, you know, they're pumping drops or maybe hand expressing drops for days and days and saying, you know, this is normal, but we're going to keep trying. We're going to keep trying. You know, our goal is to make double the amount of milk that a normal mom would make it within, you know, a couple weeks, even though it's way more than your babies are going to be taking for possibly a very long time. Like I filled a freezer fairly quickly because my babies weren't taking what I was pumping. But, um, but I think kind of setting those expectations with me, um, and just future moms going forward that it might take time, but you know, it can be done. Um, or at least you can get some milk, which is always better than no milk, even if you can't get to, you know, full exclusive breastfeeding twin supply. Um, so I right. think setting up expectations from the beginning is really for like multiple things within twin breastfeeding world um, is setting up expectations from the get go. Yeah. Yeah. And I find, I mean, from my personal experience and I, and you know, really for anyone, please weigh in on this, but I do, even though we try to say that people need to reach like their peak milk production by, you know, seven to 14 days. And that's a sign that, that's a sign that there's a higher likelihood of exclusive breastfeeding, breastfeeding at the time of discharge, exclusive breastfeeding for three to six months. Um, I still do see people gradually climbing with their milk production if they're doing a lot of pumping at four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, they do gradually climb. So if they're not at that volume that's needed at two weeks for twins, they may continue to go up over time. So sort of giving maybe them that message as well. Um, okay. And so it looks yeah. like Rima wants to add something. Yeah. yeah. The other thing is, I think there's often um, unrealistic expectations by the NICU as to how much, if a baby's able to take orally, how much that baby's going to be taking orally. Uh-huh. So, so sharing that with moms whose babies are in the NICU in particular, with how much is realistic to expect what's what's expected for the babies to take for growth in the NICU versus what's, re, what's realistic for a baby who's directly feeding at the breast and therefore how much the breast is realistically expected to be making. I see. So you're saying that, uh, that they're, they're relatively overproducing early. 
Is that what you're saying? No, so they, when you're getting those drops early on, that that realistically reflects what the baby would be taking if the baby were directly at the breast. Whereas when we're feeding the baby either through a tube or through a bottle, there's this expectation that the baby's going to take more and needs that higher volume to make the higher calories to grow because the NICU is very number driven. Whereas if the baby's at the breast, they may take significantly less, right? So in the term baby, we know it's only three to five mLs the first few days. And that's what we're expressing. And we may be able to express that by hand from both breasts. And then we've got three to five mLs for each baby. But in the NICU, we're not looking to feed the baby three to five mLs every three hours. We're looking to give the baby much more. So right. there's a disconnect between what we're able to express, whether we're using the pump or using our hands, and what is written for the baby to be getting every every feeding. I see. Got it. Yeah. Well, and I I feel like that that highlights one of my biggest pet peeves about any baby that's in the NICU, which is that there is not generally really useful information given to parents about what are normal volumes for babies to eat. And that's sometimes because the people who are taking care of them don't really have that information at the top of their brain. But I find there are a ton of people who, you know, they're really kind of behind the curve and nobody is giving them that feedback. And then I meet the occasional mom with twins who's making enough for triplets and is just pumping by the clock, you know, the schedule she's been given and nobody is paying attention to the fact that she has developed massive overproduction. So I think that's an area that we could improve upon a lot. Yeah, good point, good point. So let's talk a little bit about transition of those babies. Um, So having twins in the NICU and transitioning them to the breast before discharge. Um, For those of you who had babies in the NICU, did you have an opportunity to have them spend some time at the breast and was it was was that was would there have been a difference had had you had a singleton versus twins in terms of the expectations so my babies were in the NICU they were 35 weeks they were a little bit more mature than Carly's um and my daughter was in the NICU for only 12 hours. My son was there for the three days that we were in the hospital. And I did have the opportunity. In fact, I was very lucky in my neonatologist, um, in part because I knew all the neonatologists in the hospital and I knew that not all of them would have done this. My twins um, are almost 21. So this was a long time ago. Um, and um, the neonatologist said he wasn't taking the bottle well, but some babies went to the breast better. So 21 years ago, that was definitely very different than what a lot of neonatologists said, and it probably still is today. Um, So she had given me the opportunity to try putting him to the breast instead of trying to bottle feed him before she'd let me put him to the breast. And he actually did better initially at at the breast than he did at the bottle, which helped a lot. Yeah, I, um, and kind of what really led me actually, as I said earlier, to go down this own path of a lactation consultant. So um, my babies were actually transferred halfway through our NICU state just for insurance purposes, not medically. But um, the second hospital that we went to, like I, we were there for 23 and 28 days. And I had one lactation consultant physically help me once. So I was a new mom of twins in the NICU, like 30 week twins in the NICU. And like, 
nobody physically helped me latch my babies or just even like position them you know like I I it's it's hard positioning twins it's really hard it's hard positioning one baby if you don't know what you're doing um and so that I unfortunately we pretty much exclusively bottle fed in the NICU because it that was kind of what they did and what I did and I didn't really have enough support and help to to do it otherwise and so we didn't get a hang of the breasts so we came home pretty much exclusively bottle feeding so I was putting them to breast intermittently um, with a nipple shield we came home when they were like 35 and a couple days corrected so they were still very immature um but it wasn't until probably that we were home for oh gosh probably six seven eight weeks before we really like actively got them just to breast um and then they were great nurses from there on now but it um, it was not, unfortunately, and, and had I known better, like in hindsight, I think I would have asked more and spoken up more for myself, but I think it's sometimes hard as, um, an overwhelmed parent in the NICU to ask for help when you don't know that you're not receiving it. So, um, I unfortunately didn't have the greatest experience with actually putting babies to breast. Like I had pumping down, I had plenty of milk. That definitely wasn't the issue. Um, but yeah, working on latch, we pretty much just figured it out when they got older and once we came home yeah so for those of you who have interaction with NICUs um, or see babies who've come out of the NICU how much neonatology support how much lactation support do you have in your NICUs so I also I work in a special care nursery um, affiliated with the hospital where my babies were in the NICU Um, so we have like a level two nursery and we have wonderful lactation support at the hospital where I work at and I wish every day that I had been there but it's like an hour away from my house Um, and I mean the lactation consultants are very hands-on they visit um, for sometimes multiple feeds a day with our moms in the NICU as opposed to the NICU where my boys were where it's like a 80 bed NICU and they have two lactation consultants and a nurse has, you know, one to four or one to five babies. And it's just, they just don't have the time and the staffing and the availability to really be as hands-on as like some of the smaller, like the hospital where I work, for example. Yeah. It would be nice to be able to empower hospital nurses as well, NICU nurses to help the babies go to the breast as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's a big difference too. Like also where I work is the NICU. Um, the, so the special care nurses all have mandatory, actually mandatory, um, breastfeeding training, um, both when they're doing orientation and like maintenance. Um, and I think it's great because overnight at 2am, we don't have a lactation consultant. So they're there to really help. Um, and then the, you know, lactation consultant can come in for more fine tuning and more problematic things like that. Right, right. So let's talk about just uh, that whole challenge of just going home. So uh, Dr. Saha and Dr. DiPietro, you left, you know, early, Um, you didn't have to go to the NICU. Um, And so you're home. And what was your feeding plan at the time that you that you were discharged? So maybe start with Dr. DiPietro. Yeah, that would, your question sort of implies that I had a feeding plan. So I'm trying to, (laughs) or that I had any plan really. Um, I think I was just so shocked that they just like handed me my twins and suddenly I had two babies and they weren't going to the NICU. And it was almost shocking to not have the support of um, the NICU, honestly. Um, But I just basically had the same plan I had for my son, my first child, which was, um, feed them 
when they, <laughs> you know, every few hours, um, I had, because I had the knowledge of, um, you know, increased knowledge from my son, and then from kind of studying breastfeeding medicine more, I um, did do a hand expression before I delivered, because my son had had some hypoglycemic episodes um, that almost put him in the NICU. Um, and so, and he got over it within 24 hours, but I was kind of, you know, they say twins are actually more likely to get those kind of episodes or preterm, you know, are more likely to get those episodes. So I had actually hand expressed and I thought that really helped us. Um, so that was a major part of my plan. Um, I had syringes ready. I hadn't, you weren't allowed to have anything outside of your room. So I had an ice pack with them taped onto it that I brought into the hospital due to COVID restrictions. Um, and then, um, yeah, I just fed them. And um, it was hard because one baby, actually the larger baby fed really poorly. Um, and so that was a little bit shocking because one baby, the little baby, um, the five and a half pound baby was eating perfectly fine. And the seven pound baby was just not really eating. Um, and I, the nurse at the hospital had showed me how to tandem nurse right away. Um, and I think that actually made me kind of miss that one was not eating well. And so once um, I went in for a weight, weight check in two days, um, I realized that baby was not eating very well. And so then I had to separate their feedings. Um, so that was then part of my plan was separating their feedings. Um, and, then, and then I had to triple feed for, for the baby that wasn't doing well at the breast. So. Um, it became a very complicated plan. And then there was also um, some issues in our city at that time as well. So it became very difficult to get to the doctor. So then I bought a kitchen scale. So then my, my plan got more and more complicated as the, as the two week postpartum period uh, um, happened because they were born on May 25th, 23rd of 2020. So it was just wow. kind of an interesting time to have twins that had, um, you know, had to be closely followed up with. Yes. Yeah. And you had no idea during your pregnancy that you were going to run into a pandemic. Uh, no. Right. Yeah. That's pretty. And big. definitely not bridges in our city being closed down and things like that. Oh, so it was gosh. just an interesting wow. time because um, we couldn't get to the doctor easily and things. Um, so it required a lot. Um, actually, one of my mentors in breastfeeding medicine did virtual visits with me um, and helped me with the kitchen scale so that we could really track the baby that was not feeding well. And I think, you know, I don't think there's a lot of work in that discordant twin problem, um, where one twin is larger, um, maybe that twin doesn't need to gain weight at the same rate that the little twin does, um, because maybe they were stealing some stuff from the little twin in utero. So this is my new theory, is that maybe she just didn't need to be gaining at the rate that the little one was. I see, right, yeah. yeah. And it does seem like from my experience in watching those discordant twins, it does seem that eventually, the smaller one, it, they often catch up. They often become as large, unless they have different genetics for some reason. Yeah, so mine, mine are monodite twins. So they have the same genetics and they caught up within nine months. So, um, and it was, like I said, like it was the little twin who actually fed really well and the big twin who fed poorly. Um, and I don't know if it's always like that, probably not always like that, but um, I don't take care of a lot of twins, but um, I was lucky in that it was actually the big one that was having trouble because then it kind of, they evened out with each other and now they're the exact same weight. Yeah, I, I learned many years ago that the smaller, that the babies who are really stressed in utero sometimes are the tougher ones because they've already dealt with a lot of adversity. I don't know if anyone else, all of you will take care of babies, so I don't know if you've heard that or not. Um, so Dr. Sahad, do you want to talk about your experience being home uh, term babies, term twins? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was, I was fortunate that um, as soon as I got to my uh, postpartum room, um, a lactation consultant came in um, and sort of waltzed in and told me that we were going to tandem feed. Um, and I was not prepared for this. Um, and she reassured me, she told me that her daughter had just breastfed triplets for over a year. And so she, she knew what she was doing and this was gonna work. Um, and so I, I sort of had her kind of guide me um, through our two or three day stay in the hospital. Um, and one, one twin latched very well, very easily. One, not so much. And so kind of just started with the one who wasn't latching well, would get her on and then put the other one on as well. Um, and it, it just sort of worked for us. When we got home, they actually kind of flipped. The one who was doing well in the hospital started not wanting to latch very well. And the other one, it just sort of clicked for. Um, so we kind of just using some of the, the tips that she had given us and um, like I said, I mean, overall, we had a pretty smooth breastfeeding journey without a lot of hiccups. I mean, they, you know, they gained weight as, as they were expected to. So, um, you know, for us, her kind of coming in and, and telling me we were going to do it and not really giving me an option, it, it worked. Um, I know that's not true for everybody, um, but that's that I think that was key to our success. That's interesting. I wonder what other people think about that, like just being taught how to tandem nurse, nurse from the get go. I think there's lots of things that play into all of that. Um, working with women, so I've been doing breastfeeding care in one shape or another for 25 years at this point in time. And one thing that I find is it all, a lot of difference with how women are comfortable or birthing parents are comfortable getting their baby baby's latched and, and everything else. To, and it's whether it's a singleton or it's, it's tandem nursing or whether a woman's even, a, a parent is even comfortable with tandem, parent tandem nursing is their own comfort with getting the baby latched and how they're comfortable getting the baby latched. And we have lots of discussions through our listserv through IABLE about um, what position's best for big breasts or small breasts or things like this. And I think a lot of it depends on a person's individual comfort. So when I talk to families where um, the nursing parent has large breasts, I actually use my twins very often as an example of my own experience with nursing with large breasts um, because I had a reduction when my twins weaned themselves and I had, I told you they weighed, so my twins weighed about four pounds and four pounds, three ounces. And I had three pounds removed from each breast when they were done nursing. Um, but to me, when I brought them home from the hospital after nursing one and then going to the NICU to nurse the other, because one was with me in the room and one was not, and then going back, I didn't sleep for my few days in the hospital. So coming back to the house, tandem nursing was it. There was no other option for me. And I learned very quickly. I put, I also had one who nursed well in the hospital and then one who, when I came home, was not the better nurser. And I got the better nurser on the breast and then got the less good nurser on the breast because once I got her, I have a um, male, boy and girl twin. We get her on the breast, she would latch well and then I could focus on getting him on and then she stimulated letdown and he responded to the letdown and nursed better. So that's what worked best for me. Um, but I had experience with handling my chest to get the babies to nurse. Um, from having worked with my other two previously. Um, and so tandem worked for me and I could do both tandem and, and one then the other when we were out for other ways to nurse for comfort. Um, 
I think it just sort of depends on everybody's individual comfort because I work with families when I'm seeing them that there's no way I just tandem doesn't work for me. There's no way I can do this. I need to do one than the other, or I need to pump and give one breast milk, one breast milk in a bottle at one feeding while I nurse the other at the breast, because this is what feels comfortable for that particular parent. Right. So let's talk about um, some other situations like, you know, so many women make make much more much more milk in one breast than the other so that can make uh tandem nursing kind of tricky uh because one baby is not going to really be able to finish from one side um so would anyone like to talk a little bit about that um yeah i i can a little bit on um so my left breast was i mean not like significantly significantly but enough that my babies noticed um, and preferred. So I actually kind of on the other side, I, I tandem fed them when my husband was around because I had a very hard time. I mean, I'm small. I'm only five feet. I'm not large chested. Oh. So like it was just physically difficult for me to to get my babies in position without extra hands to tandem. Um, but yeah, generally I would, if I was tandeming, I would start, you know, one on each. Um, and when they were little, little, they didn't, obviously didn't have a super preference. So, um, I would, whoever was on the left would pretty much only feed the left. And then, um, I would often switch the baby from the, whoever, whichever baby was on the right to the left just to finish. So, which is partially, I think why we didn't tandem feed a ton was because it ended up not actually saving me all that much time because the baby, the one baby ended up feeding both breasts anyways. Um, the one benefit of tandeming in that case is that if you have two screaming babies, you can at least start the process of calming them down. Um, but as we got older, when we actually, um, I didn't tandem feed them pretty much at all until they were like close to toddlerhood because then they could get in whatever position they wanted to and it was fine. Um, they oftentimes, so I would pretty much just switch back and forth and, um, the baby who was on starting on the left, like I pretty much put the first baby on the left and then put the second baby on the right. And then at the next feed switched and there was, the, it might've been a little bit less milk from the right, but it was enough to at least sustain them until the next feed. And then that one would maybe be hungry a little bit earlier. So then that baby got the left first at the next feed. Um, I think the way to go, if you have a significant discordance in um, milk volume, um, especially if you're like an exact producer for those two babies is you're going to end up probably if you do tandem starting one on each and then switching from the less lesser producing breast to the more producing breast just to finish off. And it's a little bit tough because you're kind of like feeding this cycle of, you know, well, now my left breast is getting double the stimulation. So it's going to keep producing a little bit more milk. But I did find actually that over time, um, when their feedings weren't quite as specific volume wise, like they didn't need as much. Um, and they were happy with maybe only getting an ounce and a half when they were nine months old, that the discordance actually, um, evened out a little bit because they, I wasn't always double feeding them the one side. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, you know, I've definitely had a lot of patients over the years, twins, where they really have no interest in tandem nursing. You know, they seem to be very content to not do that. And, and oftentimes it does, it is because of like one breast being sort of the slacker boob and not producing quite as much. Anyone else? Yeah. Any, any I was gonna say, I feel like as they got older, it was I mean, even like older in like the six month, eight month range. So still where they're very much like breastfeeding often and frequently, um, they kind of stopped caring as much about 
the left side, the more producing side. I don't know if it's because they were also able to better extract milk. So they were getting more than I even realized out of the right breast, despite like if I were to pump and it was a significant difference, like, so maybe they were just better. And so they didn't care because it wasn't that different when they were actually nursing. Um, If there's some element of that too. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Dr. G. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually had this issue. I figured out when I went back to work to finish residency for a few months, um, one breast basically was a double producer of the other one when I pumped and I could tell physically that it was probably that way before that, but that was what confirmed it. Um, and I actually just wouldn't have one baby get less. Like I would tandem feed a lot at that point and, um, keep track, um, of which baby was on which side. And then the next feeding, I would just switch them around. Um, and I was able to keep track of that. Um, they were already sleep trained, I guess, by this point. So I didn't have to keep track of it while, you know, sleep deprived. (laughs) Um, but I could at least switch them and that way I thought it would help the cycle of one being large, but it just, that's my body. So (laughs) it kept going that way. Yeah. I think that there, that it's so many, I, what I tell my patients is that 80% of women seem to have one breast that makes more than the other, and they can try as hard as they can to get that other breast to kind of pick up the slack, but it doesn't, and I think it's just a difference in development of that breast. Uh, Dr. Saha. I wonder too if um, some of it is uh, highlighted when you're pumping. Um, So when I would pump, I would get one and a half or two ounces more from one side than the other. But my babies um, very much had their own side. Um, So one of them only ever nursed on the left and the other only ever nursed on the right. Um, You know, and it's interesting because even to this day, you know, when they want to snuggle, they they still pick that side. but they were always content and weight gain was fine. And so if I wasn't pumping, you know, until I started pumping, I didn't know that there was a, a significant, relatively significant difference in production too. Did they, did they start that preference really early? Like absolutely, like actually refuse to go to the other side. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's really interesting. Yep. Um, yeah. So I mean, question. honestly from birth. Wow. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's so interesting. Um, what about scales? So some of you said that you are weighing the babies at home. Certainly during COVID, I was I was uh, recommending a lot of you know, scales very often uh, to reduce the frequency of coming into the office. What do you think? Do you think that for twins that that would be really recommended? Um, because I was the one who said I had a scale, I'll answer first. I wish I did not have to buy a scale. Um, I I tell my friends like don't buy the hatch scale, like whatever, especially some of my doctor friends love it. Um, But I, uh, it really was something I had to get because of the one twin and then the difficulty getting to the office. But I, um, if it happened in a vacuum without other things going on, I would have been happy to have not bought a kitchen scale and had to weigh my baby at home. Is that because the babies would get upset with it or you felt like you started to get sort of obsessed about checking weights? I became, uh, I became obsessed with checking the weight. Um, and it was, my husband had to just be like, you're not checking it for 48 hours. Um, because then, uh, I had such a, um, like with anything where you're checking numbers, just like you become really into it. And that's not what I, what I wanted my first few weeks with the baby to be was to checking their weight all the time. And, you know, I know people who have the the weighing changing pad scale and they're checking every diaper change. And like that, 
that's a lot to be doing. Um, and so I, I at least only did it every 24 to 48 hours, but I still think it became a little obsessive. Yeah, good to know. So a lot of counseling around having a scale. Anyway. I think well, one I was, I was just gonna say one thing that is about anxiety. I always say that's a normal evolutionary thing we do is the baby breathing, is the baby okay? But things like scales can sometimes tip people over the edge. Yeah. The one thing I was going to say, too, to kind of add like twins versus singletons, because I think even a singleton that you're weighing at home, you could really get caught up often in the numbers. But the one thing with twins that I feel like every twin parent does is compare the two. Um, So like no twins, even if they're identical twins, are going to be exactly the same, nor are they going to gain weight at the exact same rate. You know, some have better days than others. And so it's so hard. And so I feel like you run into especially with twins versus a singleton is weighing them at home or weighing them frequently, whatever it may be is, I mean, I, we compare them all the time, I'm sure, but like, is comparing their weights to each other. Like, cause then, well, this one gained an ounce, but this one gained four or, you know, 40 grams. Like this one's better, even though an ounce is more than adequate most of the time. So one kind of twin problem versus a singleton problem with that kind of stuff is the comparison of them to each other. At the time I lived walking distance from the office. I mean, it was a far walk, but walking distance from the office where the kids were seen. And um, because my son was had lost, he'd gone from 4.3 to 3.13, we were in every few days to check his weight. He was scheduled for a weight check every few days. And we would go in and it's okay, he's, he's about the same or he hasn't lost or he's gained or whatever it was. And I would say, we'll be back in a few days. I know I can hear him sucking and swallowing. He's peeing great. He's pooping great. I know he's doing fine. I was managing it because, again, I'm the one who had the knowledge base. Um, but I would also put, bring, I would, we would all go. It would be my husband, the, the twins, and, my, and myself. And we would put both the babies on the scale. He would have the appointment, but I would need to know that she was gaining too. And so it's very easy to get caught up in that. And there's data on that specifically with the app monitors, not with weight checking, but the, the anxiety that it produces with the apnea monitors. Oh, yeah. But I always counsel my parents, my families, not to pick them up, not to use them. Yeah, good, good point. So let's talk about, um, uh, maybe we could just actually jump into weaning. Uh, so weaning is such an interesting issue. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about the challenges that you found with weaning twins and how old they were when you weaned or whether or not they just walked away from the breast. Maybe we'll start with Dr. Saha. Yeah, so I weaned, um, weaned them when they were about 16 months. Um, and really the impetus was, it got to the point that in public, um, they kind of outpowered me and the two of them could basically lift my shirt up and it it just got to the point that I needed to stop. Um, And so I took a different approach with my singletons after them, but um, basically I I had to cut down on the the bedtime um, nursing before they sort of um, lost interest in in some of the daytime nursing. And so um, we switched, uh, I, I had done all the bedtimes up until weaning. Um, and so we sort of switched and my husband started doing all the bedtimes. And so I just, what physically wasn't there for them <laughs> um, to, to still nurse. Um, and once they had kind of gotten used to falling asleep without it pretty quickly, they stopped the overnight nursing um, and the daytime nurse and I could sort of distract them. Um, so I sort of took the like, don't offer, don't refuse approach during the day. Um, but that interest pretty quickly went away um, after I got rid of that bedtime nursing. Oh, that's so interesting. 
Um, so Dr. Um, uh, Dulan, you want to talk about weaning? Yeah. So actually my story is kind of like the way we did it was sort of the opposite. So we weaned when they were 20 ish months. It wasn't even that long ago, <laughs> around 20 months. Um, mostly, honestly, the, it, because we didn't really tandem nurse, um, they got to the point where at, like in the evenings they were like fighting over it. And so I slowly weaned it during the day just cause I wanted the flexibility of being able to go somewhere and not have to worry about it. Um, and then kind of cut out a, a nursing session each time. Um, so the nighttime nurse might, was the last one, like the bedtime nursing session was the last one um, for us to cut out. I think it was a little bit easier because I often work nights um, and I work 24 hour shifts. So I am gone for bedtime sometimes. Um, but my one was actually much more hesitant to, to drop the nighttime nursing. Like the one he, he was fine with it. He like honestly couldn't care less. And the other one um, for a couple of days, I only nursed him while my husband had the other twin in the other room. So we had our chair. Um, and then the next night I kind of did what Heather did where I, I just needed to not be there. So they knew I was in the house and I was not there. Um, and then honestly, after that, they really stopped asking for it every once in a while they would ask or like tug in my shirt, but, um, it was actually fairly quick. And I think part of it is because they could see that each other, they were both over it. Um, but it was more so the weaning was, I think, you know, my doing for a multitude of reasons. Um, so it did make it a little bit harder, but I think in the same aspect, because they had each other to say, they had other things to do during bedtime and other ways to distract themselves. And they saw that neither of them were nursing, which is why we had to take the one out when the one was nursing still, um, was kind of an easier way almost to, to wean was the, just the distractibility aspect of it because they're distracted by each other <laughs> versus a single, a singleton whose bedtime routine is exclusively, you know, baby and mom. You know, that's such a great point. Cause that's the whole idea of, with me is distracting, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they're, I mean, they're great, great. And sometimes, you know, not in the best way, but they're really like the best distractors for each other. Nice. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Um, Dr. Sussman, do you want to talk about meaning? So we, we did a family trip and my twins were also right around 16 months. We did a family trip and they woke up in the middle, one woke up in the middle of the night. They usually woke up slightly different times at that point and just wanted to be held, didn't want the breast at all. And the next day showed no interest while the other twins still showed interest. And the next night, the process repeated itself with the second twin. And I had nothing to do with it. I wasn't ready, but they were ready. So that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. We were on a family trip, but we were renting a house. So there wasn't so, anything that was significantly different. They were in pack and place instead of cribs, but they were in a room right next to ours and like nothing otherwise had specifically changed except I was more available. And yet. That's so, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Interesting. Uh, Dr. Pietro. Um, yeah, I had kind of hoped that it would go the same way that my singleton went where, um, they just would not show interest, like kind of what your husband just said, and, um, they would go over time, but suddenly they were going down to once a day. And then it became like every 10 minutes the next day for a few weeks. And I just could not handle that with two children. Um, and they were, you know, about 16 months as well, 15, 16 months. And so I just said, no, 
And that was the end. And like they were not nursing overnight or anything. It was really just during the day. So um, I just said no. And I did it with both of them at the same time. Um, we live in a pretty small apartment. So there was no way to go into a different room or anything. Um, but yeah, it was just like one day I just said no to both of them. And then that was it. Um, and they signed for it for a little bit. And that was really sad. But um, I just, you know, held my ground. And then one day I signed it to them. And they just started laughing at me and that was the end of that. So. <laughs> so, so it's so interesting. It almost sounds like weaning twins could be a little easier because they have each other and they, you know, how siblings are like, well, if I'm getting it and you're getting the same thing, then I guess we're, you know, we're even. Um, yeah, that's, that's super interesting. So, well, great. It's been such a pleasure talking to all of you. And I, I'm sure that the participants, people who are listening, are really going to, value all this information that you shared. Do you have any last words of wisdom or recommendations and having twins that's something that we didn't cover? Again, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about anticipatory guidance when talking to someone who's pregnant to try to talk, try to, uh, you know, explore the topics that we want that person to know about. Um, but anything else that you want to share? Uh, I would have to just say to for both moms and for providers of moms of twins is to be flexible um, in your both your expectations and your plans um, because it, it is it can be a little bit more complicated and a little bit more difficult than breastfeeding just one. Um, it, it can be done, but it, it could very well be different. So you, your um, your plan for breastfeeding your twins may or may not actually you know, come fully to fruition. Uh, and then is there anything that you wish your doctor would have like done differently in just bringing your twins to the doctor, you know, or the way the office handled, um, you know, just management of twins, anything that any tips for the physician seeing that seeing these twins? I would just say, you know, in my breastfeeding medicine practice, I, have longer visits for twins. I mean, it, it seems kind of obvious with all of this, but I think it isn't obvious to my scheduler. So <laughs> something that I'm like constantly like, no, you can't put them in that regular new patient appointment at the beginning of the day. That's not gonna work for me. Yes, absolutely. Cause it takes like 45 minutes just to get their weights. Well, we always get more time for that. What was that, Bima? I said, we, we always give more time for that. Our lactation consultant gets more time. I get more time when we do a visit like this. For twins, yeah, mm -hmm. great, yes, great. Well, thank you so much. I so appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to talking to you all in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Anne, that was fun. For questions regarding this podcast, please contact us through our website at lacted.org. We have other educational projects, including the Clinical Question of the Week, our Little Green Book of Breastfeeding Management for Physicians, and our various educational courses and conferences for physicians and other breastfeeding supporters. If you want to see what we look like, check out our Breastfeeding Medicine podcast Facebook page, where you can post any questions or comments about our podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with you in about four weeks.